Your style is unorthodox. But effective. It is not the art, but the combat that you enjoy. Man, you come right out of a comic book. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. Black 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 Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Hi, this is Anthony Rutgazer. I'm the writer of The First Hero and Heroes of Homeroom C, and you are listening to Black Comics Chat. Hi, this is Regine Al Sawyer, owner, writer, creator of Lock It Down Productions, and the coordinator and founder of the Women in Comics Collective International. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. Uh, 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 Marcus? Is Marcus getting water? Is that is that what's going on? Yeah, Marcus well, went to get his water. I'm a water. I knew I knew my timing would work. <laughs> <laughs> we'll kick it off, right. my man. All right, check one, two, one, two. What is going on? What's happening? What's popping? What's cracking, everyone? This is Marcus Kwame, and I'm very, very happy to be back for another episode of Black Comics Chat with our very, very special guest. And yo, we got we got four fifths of the uh, the Black Comics Chat crew up in the house tonight. I'm gonna go around and introduce everyone, uh, and you know, give a shout out to to the homie Philo, the the Quiet Storm. Um, he has he has a good reason to not be here tonight. So he does shout indeed. out to What's up? Yeah, no, I was shout saying, out. yeah, he does indeed. Shout out to that dude. Yes, yes. Um, so you know, we'll hold it down in the meantime. But you know, as always. We got the crew. We got always fresh off her award tour, the international lady of mystery, the Carmen San Diego of the crew, you know, the Lord G Rocker number one. We got Grace. <laughs> what's good? What's good? I'm actually about to hit the ground running next week. You know, uh, dust those those shoes off that, you know, <clears throat> have been in the closet, have been out on the travel. So I hit about to hit Texas, hit the ATL. Hit, uh, might even hit the West Coast. I'm trying to make that happen. So um, touring is about to take take effect. But it's good to be, you know, in the NY, the Western NY right now, and good to be on this chat right now. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 ready. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, next up, man, we've got the undercover Sith Lord. You know, Darth Tonito, uh, Yodita's papa. We got we got Tony up in the house. <laughs> it's Yorito. Yorito. Yeah, that oh, was a lo- that was a lot of Spanish all at once for him, though. You gotta. I'm Caribbean, but it's you know, so the general uh, you know area, but I'm not you know specifically fluent. I get it. I get it. What up, y'all? Uh, it's been a it's been a I feel like it's been a long time since we've done a show, and like. I also feel like January and February have been like 10 years. Like a lot yeah. is happening. The zombie apocalypse is about to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think we we just had a near miss with a, from a comment. I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but I'm glad the show is happening right now. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, that comment, yeah, uh, that, that comment scare was real. But um, 
anyway, we're not even getting to the the you know astronomy right now. But uh, next up, we've got you know my brother from another mother. We got the the one of the authors from a forthcoming uh, anthology from Power and Magic Press. We got uh, Leo in the house. Yo, what's up, Black Comic Shack crew? And I thought you were going to talk about the comic that we do, Snow End Days. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. You think I didn't see that? You think I didn't Wait, see what? that? Yo, there was like, wow. yo, because there Wait, did, some, did somebody miss, miss Nomer? Yo, it was like, was it? I'll find a tweet. It was like a museum that you were doing some stuff on, and they were giving you shot, and they're like, he's the creator of Snow End Days. Oh. With whatever. And I was like, oh, it's, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, yo, it's like, yes, when, it's yeah, like when yeah. Grandma bought you like you know the toy that wasn't the toy that you wanted it's like this is the same right, right? it's like it's fine and you're like yeah yes cool thank you for <laughs> for that right. Right. um yeah no what's up i'm super i'm super hyped to be here it, it it has been like this the the past couple of months like we have not done a lot of episodes everyone's busy Every, everything's crazy like tony said like you know like people are like locking their doors and like putting tinfoil on their windows um but I honestly, like, cannot think of a better reason to be here or a better person to be here than our guest tonight and his book. So it's sort of like we're, we're, we're stacking a lot in this one show. You know, it's been a while, but we're stacking a lot on this, on this episode. Yeah, man. No, no, for real. And, uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Um, we are very happy to have once again returning to this show, you know, for, I believe, the third time, a super talented creator, uh, educator, who um, is here to talk all about his exciting new memoir. We got Joe Christian Gill returning <clears throat> to the show. How are you, Joe? I'm good. How y'all doing? Fantastic. Now, should we refer to you by your rap name, or are we going, we're sticking with oh, Joe yeah. for the episode? Oh, man. I haven't gone by my rap name <laughs> in so long, man. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, but I did. But I did recently get a copy of a demo tape that I thought was all lost. Ooh. And my nephew, who... My nephew, who actually is a pretty dope rapper, I said it to him. He was like, is this you spitting them like fire from circa 1991? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was an era, man. It you was. Respect then. The show, man. Yeah. I mean, like, I, well, we, you know, that's definitely, I, I think, on our list of, of, of questions to get into. But we usually like to, um, you know, start off talking about our guest origin story. So can you tell us about, you know how you got started, got introduced to comics, and how you got started professionally with comics? Um, so I started out with comics. I mean, I, you know, I got introduced with comics because, you know, I was, I was a reader. When I, as a kid, I read lots of stuff. Um, I didn't read a lot of floppies or, or monthly comics because they were expensive and I couldn't really get them. So I spent a lot of time with, like, Cracked and Mad when I was a kid mm. um, because that was just more content, right? You got a whole magazine with Cracked and Mad and it wouldn't be, you know, 24 pages, you'd have more. Um, and I went to college because I originally wanted to draw comics, but they didn't have a program for comics at the time when I was in when I was an undergrad. Um, so I took the closest thing that they had to art. So I took a graphic design program and then eventually fell in love with painting for a while. And I always tell people, I've said this before, you might have heard me say it something else, but I always say that comics was like my high school girlfriend. Um, we parted ways and then I went to college and I got married with, I got married to painting. We had a couple kids, but you know, it didn't really work out. And then, you know, I was at a bar one day and I saw comics again and we just connected and we've been married ever, happily married ever since. Uh, so that was, sort of that like, was uh, 
<laughs> I mean, that's the way I think about it because that's what happened. I went and I spent a lot of time making paintings and I went to grad school for painting. And then I realized that my paintings weren't telling stories. So I went back to the idea of how you tell stories using visual language. Um, and I started making comics and, um, and, you know, I was going to be Basquiat when I was painting, right? That was the thing. I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to make paintings that make people cry. And, and apparently, you know, I end up making comics that make people cry. So mm. it is what it is. Mm. You know, the, it's such an interesting thought that like people don't bring up enough the kind of economy of comics and the economy of floppies, because I do like, I don't think it's just inflation, like comics, floppy comics just con continue to get more and more expensive and mm. oftentimes, like, you know, offer less and less content. And it was, like, a real factor. Like, when you were, when, when you had that sort of, like, micronized economy when you were a kid where you're like, I have $3.50. Like, I need something that's going to, like, give me some type of value. And if you spent that money on, like, you know, like, a big dumb book that didn't have a lot of words in it. Like, I used to think about that. I, used, I got really into Matt Wagner's work because he put so many words on the page. And I was mm. like, yo, I know this comic's going to take me, like, 40 minutes to read. And then I'll read it. Right, you're it. getting more for your book. <laughs> yeah, it, that's so yeah, exactly. weird that you look at it that way. You know, you're like, oh, how long is it going to take me to get through this? Um, but yeah, and like that was an avoidance with with Flavius for me too. But like, I lived in the 99 cents section in those bins, them cheapo bins too. You know, but yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's yeah. I think um, when you're a kid, I mean, I just like I didn't have a lot of stuff growing up. I was we were really poor, and um, so if I got like a Mad Magazine or a Crack, that would last me. That would last a couple days because I could. You know, there was lots of stuff to read. There would be, you know, those, those big, those giant pages on Mad where they do with the, the movies and they have all the word balloons and they, all the caricatures of people. Mm -hmm. That would take me a minute to read. So, but if I got like a superhero floppy from the store on the way between my mom's and my grandmother's house, um, I could read that in the car before we even got to where we were going. Right. And so, um, so that was, you know, and I, I, that wasn't usually the issue. It was mostly about money. But when I went to the to the to the library that's what i would just get i would get i would get magazines out of the out of, i would check magazines out and, and that would be what i'd do did you growing up and uh, this is a question for everybody on the show did y'all have a library that had com that had floppy comic books in it because my library started carrying them when i was a kid and i would actually borrow I, comics I, from no, the library we didn't have comics but they had um they had magazines so cracked and mad would be in there but they didn't yeah have me comics. too yeah Damn magazine! I don't remember getting mad. Like I would get mad from friends and stuff. I don't. I don't think the library had mad, but they had. It must. It must have been like a couple, like you know, uh, like spirited librarians just at the thing that had this concept. And it was weird because they would have to put the like big bulky, you know, card thing where you put the card that gets stamped in the comic book, you know, which is like heavier practically than the whole comic. But they did have them. They did have oh, actual yeah. comic issues, which is really cool. Um, and no, now it's very I mean, normal. I read them. Yeah, I read a lot of Cracked, Mad, and Highlights and Boy's Life. Those were the things that I read a lot of. I would have stacks of them. Word. Yeah, Goofus and Gallon crew. Oh, we got all right. We got one of your students in the class. Popping in, the Danny Coca uh, is a student uh, of yours. Oh, uh, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> what did she say? I don't even know what she said. He I'm just, like, he just oh, came in to say hi. He just said that he said you're a fantastic professor. She no, she's great. Danny's good. She's a she's a fantastic student. She's got she's got some skills. Y'all should check her out. She's got some. She definitely does have some skills. All right, that's what's up. Um, Although she was that no, go on. No, no, it's fine. Go ahead. 
Well, what um, yeah, what do you teach? Uh, you want to speak a little bit about your yeah. what you're doing in education right now? Yeah, so this semester I'm teaching color for illustrators, and um, I'm teaching illustrating graphic novels um, at Mass College of Art and Design. And um, I used to be at a school in New Hampshire, which will remain nameless. Um, <laughs> I just well, they don't exist anymore. So honestly, I can't really. Did they scam you know, students really out of a lot of money? No, Allegedly? they just merged with another school. They merged with another school, and um, I just have I have feelings about the other school. So um, yeah, so I'm at Mass College of Art, which is great. I got great faculty. Students are fantastic. I have uh, you know great colleagues. It's you know it's just all around a much better place. I'm so much happier. I'm also not in charge of anything because I was the chair at NHIA for a long time at, um, at um, the, um, the previous school. I was chair of foundations and I was chair of comic arts. But when they merged with the other school, it was kind of like, I can't, yeah, I just, I wasn't feeling it. So hmm. I had to bounce. Well, I mean, like, it sounds like you're in the perfect place now and you're teaching. Uh, I can't think of a better teacher to be teaching what you're teaching. But, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So we talked a little bit about like you know some of the magazines when you were that you were reading when you were you know when you were younger who were some of the like creators you know we've often talked on the show about how a lot of times for a lot of us we had a moment when it clicked like all right these are the people who are actually making these books um like what was that moment for you was there a certain book or an artist oh no it was, like I, I i think it was sort of it was it was like in fits and bursts right like hmm. When I was in high school, it was, it was all image. I mean, I was just like everybody else. I was going to the comic book store, you know, every four months or five months or six months to get the issue of Spawn that was coming out. Because <laughs> 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 I think like one came out and then like six months later, two came out. Then two months after that, then three came out and whatever. And then you get, you know, you'd be reading in the back and it's just like, Oh man, this one's coming out, and it never would come out. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, some say, some say, Pit was, Number was, was Six is supposedly crazy. still coming out one day. I think, <laughs> I think like, if, <laughs> if you're quiet, you can hear Dale Keown drawing it right now. If you're very silent, he's drawing it somewhere. Uh, there was a lot of detail in those books. Yeah, yeah. It's taking him a minute, but I mean, those books, those, those books were absolutely great. They those were so were good. Fantastic. They were. So I mean, good. I think I think that was that was part of it, you know, um, and being a big fan of Todd McFarlane and big fan of those guys. And at that point, just thinking I'm going to draw superheroes. And and then um, again, it happened right after grad school when I discovered Chris Ware, um, which Ooh. was just incredible. Mm -hmm. um, What's I'm your a favorite huge Chris, fan Ware? Of Chris Ware? Um, it's, um, it's Acme Novelty Library number 18 or 19. No, it's not 18. I think it's um, 18. It's the, the one with the seeing eye dogs of Mars in it. Um, it has the science fiction short story in the middle of it. So Rusty Brown's dad is, is, um, is like this failed science fiction writer. He gets, he makes one sign. He has one published thing and it's called the seeing eye dogs of Mars. And I think that's just such a brilliant story, but Chris Ware's stuff is just like nothing ever good happens to his characters. Everybody's no. like depressed and sad, but it's just so beautiful that, um, I just, I just remember reading, um, you know, the Acme novelty library Saturday annual shareholders, Saturday afternoon, you know, re 
book, that big one, the big red one. And I was just like, I read it from cover to cover. I looked at it a lot of times. Um, and I was just blown away at how he's like his color and composition and lawn work and, and story. And, you know, it's crazy to me. He doesn't even write that stuff down. He just starts in the top left-hand corner and just draws this, and just draws what and happens. just goes. Um, wow. yeah, it's kind of crazy. So that's, you know, that's, you know, it's so, like I said, it happened, it happened in fits and bursts, you know, I would, you know, those people, and then I would discover Chris Ware. And then later on, I discovered like Joe Sacco mm-hmm. and, um, but I was like a big fan. You remember that, that issue of hardware where they had, I don't know who was drawing it, but it had, um, hardware was up against like 15, brand new um oh yeah hall had like super the, all the names were just great I, like i could still see that in my head i remember just like reading that over like one of them's name was guillotine i remember yep, yep. um yeah that was just that was i mean it was just it, so it was like a lot of stuff over and over over time and um you know and it's it's you know it's yeah i, I discovered different people along the way i remember um it's when i discovered you know when i discovered um, Nate Powell's work, um, in mm, like mm. 2000 and I want to say 2005, 2006 box Brown, um, you know, John Jennings, when I discovered John's work, I, I just became fans of people as, it, as, as I, you know, as I progressed through all of this stuff. And it's, um, so I don't think there was just ever one moment that never one moment that clicked. It was more about like just coming to this realization that, you know, I am a storyteller. That's what I do. Um, and it's not, the individual image that's in, that's important to me it's it's the whole story so um that's a long answer to that short question but i'm sorry that's i am a, a professor that's, a, that's, that's what we do. that's a really rich answer <laughs> also it's a great answer yeah and you're talking about chris ware which also brings me back to what you were talking about with cracked and mad because chris Ware, i mean chris ware's books are expensive but there's an extremely high value there's like a lot he's never put out something that you can just like eat in two minutes like Everything like right. you, you can literally spend days like yeah reading the stories like the journals like the the little like you know like just bric-a-brac in the corners like the little like cartoons that are in between the lines like yeah there's like a lot that's a that's a high value he makes high value work for sure yeah absolutely no yeah. are we gonna are so we uh, need to talk about fights right yeah yeah no we're gonna get into it we're gonna get into it um yeah so let's uh, let's jump right into it let's talk about fights. <laughs> Um, tell, tell everyone what fights is. So fights is, uh, so, um, fights is kind of my, my love letter to kids who were like me growing up. Um, you know, kids who survived trauma, abuse and violence and in this world. I mean, the, the, the subtitle fights was almost, um, trying to be, trying what is it um soft in a hard world or something like that it was what i wanted what i originally wanted to do my agent was like you're selling yourself short you're not soft <laughs> but that's the way i always thought about it um and um you know it's about it's it's kind of about the you, when you see kids that have that are going through a lot of stuff um you see them fighting and violence and acting out and it's about how sociopaths are not common. They're not this, um, they're not a common thing. You see a kid that's acting out like that. There's a lot of stuff you don't see. So it's about all the stuff that you don't see going on in the kid's life so that we don't think of them as throwaway children. And, um, so, um, it's, it's just recounting that. And it's, you know, it's for kids who have gone through stuff like that. 
um, you know, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, trauma. And it's also for adults who are dealing with kids like that. So they have a bet. So that basically they'll build empathy um, for those kids. So they have a better understanding of what it's like to be that kid. So mm-hmm. each each chapter is about a fight that I was in as a kid and um, what was happening at the time of the fight. Um, so it starts from the first fight I can remember and the last fight I got into um, when I was in right after right out of high school, I got jumped at a party. So it um, it so it bookends with those two fights, one when I was like five years old and one when I was like 19 years old. Mm. I just want to say that was extremely professorial because you in answering that question, you thoroughly answered my my following question, which was going to be about. <laughs> Because, you know, I really I really liked in your your epilogue, you know, you, you wrote about that, how this was less about, um, mm, mm. you know, trying to try trying to um, for an exercise for yourself. than this was about communicating, you know, both with um, children who can relate and, you know, adults who may know a child who can relate and um, really spreading awareness. So I guess can you talk about like taking a personal story and you know, making it something, you know, bigger than yourself and, and, and trying to communicate and, and empathize with people. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, there's this, um, really great quote that I say to my students all the time, which is, um, by Mary Oliver, a and poet who wrote this book called rules for the dance. And in that book, she said, emotion doesn't create style style creates emotion. And so mm. what I tried to do mm. with fights is to step back from who I was as a person and sort of look at how I like and how to think about how how does how do I create the emotions that I felt at that time with the style and the formal sort of tools that you have or the formal tools of visual language that you have when you're making comics. So I kind of stepped away from it and looked at it that way because I wanted people to really feel in that moment um, what I how I felt about those things. So it was a lot of thinking like how did that feel? What's the best way to make that feel that way, that that loneliness or that sadness or that equilibrium or that trauma or that fear? Um, what's the best way to make those things happen? And so it was kind of stepping back and looking at how those visual, how that visual language, how the visual language of comics sort of work. Mm. And I think um, one of the things that a lot of people have talked to me about or you know, a lot of reviews have talked about is the fact that, you know, the way I draw and the, the style that I draw in is like an all ages style. But I don't really think yeah. of it that way because I, I try I'm like a big fan of uh, French cartoonists and they've been drawing like this for years mm-hmm. and telling, you know, very mm. serious stories. True. It's more about just making that character in every man that everybody can feel. And um, I saw a student today mm. when I was leaving work. And she said she had read the book and she just, and she goes, and like reading the book, she was like, I didn't cry. She thought, I thought I was going to cry, but I didn't cry. What I really wanted to do was like reach down in there and save you <laughs> as a kid. I wanted to reach in and take you out because mm-hmm. um, I felt that empathy for that kid. And that's, that's really what I was trying to do is I wanted to, I wanted to make a character. I wanted to make my character something that everybody could relate to mm-hmm. um, because I feel like that's mm-hmm. the thing that, that's the thing that becomes, that's the thing that made that transcends it. It like, you know, people can pour themselves into it so they can feel those things. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and that's I totally relate to your student because I mean, it's like as you're reading the book and all these things are happening, you know, I mean I think it's one thing to read a, a dramatized story or watch a dramatized story, but you know, just sitting here and, you know, just 
knowing, you know, how real this was. It, it does build that empathy and in turn, you know, I think is really educational. And, and I know that I think your, your book is universal, but I think there's something to be said for specifically like black and brown kids, you know, in the sense that, you know, we're very misunderstood oftentimes, you know, and a oh, lot yeah. of times people really try to come up with very easy answers for why certain things happen. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, I think they, your book you know, really they, gets into the complexities. Yeah, people dehumanize I'm sorry, black go ahead, and brown kids a lot. I was just saying people dehumanize black and brown kids a lot. And I think um, I remember when I first got out of grad school, I went back to um, to teach at a community college that I went to. There was a woman in that class who wanted to learn how to draw. She's taking a drawing class from me. Um, and I found out that her husband was the principal of the elementary school I, I went to. Oh. And so she was like, oh, what, what school did you go to? She, not the, while I was there, but right. you know, subsequently after I was gone. And I was like, um, I went, you know, I lived in Candlewood. This is, that's where I grew up. And she, and she goes, I'll go ask him about it. So the next week comes she back and she's like, oh, my God, you lived in Candlewood and now you're a professor. How did you make <sighs> it? And it just felt really sort of, I mean, it was, it was surprising, right? Like I'd never mm -hmm. thought about it like that. And, um, but I think that's, that was a com that's a common way people look at, you know, kids who are growing up in projects like that, like that kid's not going to, if they ever make it out, it's going to be lucky, mm -hmm. you know, if right. they're going to, you know, if they're not, I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's either the Cinderella story or the hard work or, or I don't know, it's whatever, but people tend to think, oh, they're not going to be anything. And I think we sort of put those kids in boxes and don't allow them to just be human. They have to be a thing that they, people have to deal with. And I think it's just really important when you look at those kids to figure out what their story is. And I mean, I didn't do this a lot in fights. Um, I didn't put as many of the people because there was a there were more people in the book other than um, the, the farmer, Mr. Charles, who I think were kind to me mm -hmm. over the course of my life. Um, and there were people who I think really, you know, I had a principal who I thought in, when I look back at it, the principal at the school at the time who I just thought he was just a, like he hated me. I thought he because he was always like he was always carrying on and um, he was, a, you know, he was. He was, you know, he was a good old boy um, in the sense that he was from the South. He had a farm like he was a principal. We also had a farm. But I remember one day in his um, I was in his office and something had happened. And he said to me, I wish I could just take you to my farm. And and at the time, I thought, you know, he just wants to take me there so he can beat me or something. You know yeah, I mean? that sounds but like I, that I sounds like a line from that, a horror movie. actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when I'm. But I, when I look back at that, I realized that he was he, he was trying to he really wanted to save me. He was like, I want to because he I think he knew he wasn't a principal that just threw kids away. He was like he knew there was something mm -hmm. else and he didn't know what it was. And he was like, if I could just take you away from all those things, you're probably not a bad kid is what he was thinking. Right. But that wasn't how it was going. Um, that was not how it was going on at the time. I was just, I, I mean, I remember I fought every day. I just remember that, that year was my fifth grade year. My mom had just started working. So I was like trapped at family's house at, at family, at my family's house, the extended family. And it was just terrible. And I just, and I had this, cause, and I was like, we had moved away. It was right after that was that entire year with the bully in the fifth grade. It was just, that whole thing was just terrible. And, um, and I remember I fought 
Oh, I fought every day. I, I, if I did not fight every day, it's a surprise. But as a teacher, the teacher in my class, I wish I could find her now. Her name was Miss Wickersham. She was from she was from Minnesota. She was in South. She was in Milwaukee. She was from Milwaukee, and she was from South. She was in Southwestern Virginia for a long time. But she had a. I just remember she had this car that said I kayak, but it was it was spelled weird, so it was funny. Um, but she was one that wanted to save me too. I remember her looking at me one day and, and with tears in her eyes and saying, she, I wish I knew I could, I wish I knew how to help you. I remember her saying that, but I, but I couldn't really fit them into the story, um, to try to figure out, cause it was more about the fights and, and how I, you know, what was going on and how I either went, won or lost that fight, um, to figure out what was going on. And I just wasn't able to put those, put them in there. I think that, but I think that, uh, like, I mean, my opinion on that description is, is sort of that it's wisdom because, um, and this and this wouldn't have been the fault of your story or your literal life, of which this is like a kind of memoir. Um, but just the idea that what you're describing is a trope that has been done a lot, and that which is not to downplay like the like the great uh, contributions by you know like teachers who like help validate and like empower and and educate kids and like you know like teach them more about their inner self, of which there are tons and like. Most of like I mean I had an absolutely atrocious educational upbringing, but that doesn't mean I didn't have like good special teachers. But at the same time, I feel like including those stories would would have sort of diverted the story, in a certain way or at least like tempered expectations in some weird uh, kind of tangible way. And I think that was smart yeah, because I mean, I your professors, your teachers put, don't help you in the story. <laughs> No, yeah, the teachers that I have um, <laughs> in the story are not the. I mean, they're either I, invisible I had more or assholes. Bad teachers than good. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I had I, I had more bad teachers than good growing up. I will say that. Mm-hmm. So when my kids went to school, my kids legitimately would not ever tell me when something was going on at school because they know I was like I was always like I, I had like if you would think of me as like nine one nine one one. It was like be having nine one dial and just waiting for the next thing to happen. Like uh-huh. They just kicked in doors, uh-huh. um, and so my kids wouldn't—they wouldn't even tell me there was something. Things would happen, and they would just—and I would—I found out later. Cause my my son is will be tw- will be um, eighteen in a couple of months, and all my other kids are in their twenties, and they—they—they're now—they're just now telling me, oh yeah, such and such was doing this to me when I was in school, and because they—but they knew that if they told me that I would just come in and kick my me and my wife both will be kicking in doors. Like right. what's going on? Right. Um, so I so because I had a lot of bad teachers. I had I had a teacher that I didn't even put in the book who had a son um, when I was in first grade. She was pregnant while I was there, and she had a son. And then we had a substitute teacher. And I remember she lived near the projects that we lived in. So I remember going over to her house, and her child her her son had Down syndrome. When she when the baby was born and I didn't know Down syndrome as a term when I was six years old, mm-hmm. I knew retarded. Right. Sure. And I have cousins who have Down syndromes. And, th- and that was what that was like in, in 1981. It wasn't like I was being derogatory. I just said she has a baby. Her baby's retarded. Right. Somebody else. I was telling people that I had I'd seen the baby at school because you saw you when you're six years old. You see your teacher outside of the school. You're like, that's that's like seeing a celebrity. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was telling everybody and she came back from our field day and um, and she had everybody. You know, she brought the baby. She talked about the baby and she took me outside 
And I will never forget this. And this is another one that's going to burn in hell, I'm sure. But she <laughs> took me outside and she dug her nails into my arm. And she was like, my son. And she was just explaining out, like all of her anger at having a child that has a disability was transferred into me in that moment. And oh this is like God. a grown ass woman. And I am six years old. And so you can imagine that when my kids went to school, it was like my, I, the teachers mm-hmm. knew that I was going to come in. So like my kids, I, I can imagine that if something happened with my kids at one point, that the teachers when they were in elementary school would be like, yeah, let's just let them get away with it. Because if Joel, if Mr. Gill comes in, it's going to be bad. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So like, so I didn't put the teachers in there. That because scene should have been in the book. We can edit it before printing, right? Yeah, let's get that scene in. Let's get that scene in there real quick. That's a good. That's a good scene. That's... Oh wow. Um, yeah, I didn't put that in the book, but that was she was she was something else. I can't remember her name either. I can't remember her name. Actually, I, I do remember her name. I don't remember her name. It was because I I forget her name and the substitute teacher's name. I get them mixed up, but. Yeah, she did that. And it was clear that she took all of her anger at having a disabled child. And she uh, on a six year old like this is first grade. So I was like six years old. Maybe I've worked with six year olds. They they, they just say what they're just firing things off. Yeah. Um, Yeah, they were were terrible. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, I mean, like even speaking about like what did make it into the book and what didn't um, it really. There's a lot of things as I was reading where I was just thinking about, you know, your your process for for creating this this narrative. And um, one thing that I've I, and I definitely spoke to you about this, I think, when we talked about some of your um, strange fruit books in the past, like you're you have a, a really you know masterful way of just using symbols and iconography mm. and just weaving them into your story to really communicate much bigger ideas um you know just through a simple visual which at in its essence i'm pretty much describing comics but like the um like and what i'm thinking about is like you have this running theme throughout the book about the fire and the flame you know uh, which which you know obviously represents that that anger and hurt you know that kids don't know what to do with and oftentimes will erupt in you know fights and violence um but the way that you use it as a as a theme throughout the story i i really really dig that so um i guess could you just like speak a little bit about um your on the visual side how you um you know go about conceiving and and communicating these ideas i really wanted to um go about a process of explaining of, of metaphor or, or setting the stage in the beginning of the book so that later in the book, you would start to see, like I would, I, it would, it no longer would I have to say that I was angry or that I was the fire. I could, it would just be something that I would, you could just see the burning. Right. So I wanted to, and I wanted to put that, that kind of stuff in there so that the metaphor really became less me writing these things out and became visual, which is what comics does. It, right. it becomes a visual, it was, it's a visual thing. So um, that's really the way I was thinking about how I set, how I set everything up. So, um, you know, and plus my father drowned and, you know, and I was thinking about, I was just thinking about elements in a lot of ways, like mm. fire and water sort of work together. Plus um, that moment in the beginning 
where I'm drawing a picture of the firefighter because I'm like, kids draw firemen, so I should just right. draw a fire. You know, I'll just do that. And then when I was thinking about that, you know, I, like I never became the fire. I, I remember clearly in my studio thinking I never became that fireman. I became the fire and fires just burn um, because I had a colleague once tell me that, you know, when college students come to college, it's like they get hot with knowledge um, and they become an underrepresented minority, whether they're women, women, whether they're, you know, people of color, whether they're LGBTQIA plus, And they all of a sudden, once they get to that place, they just burn everybody. Right. Because it's uncontrolled fire because they've got this knowledge. They're angry mm-hmm. about things. They don't know what to do with it. And I was I was that kid as a little kid. I was like that that kind of angry all the time. And so that was just a burning thing. Um, so that, that was, that was, I wanted to set that up pretty early so that when you saw it later in the book, um, you could do, you could, you could see that plus the water metaphors as well. I wanted to be able to, you know, I liked the idea early on my editor, I had two really great editors, um, Andrea Colvin in the beginning, who's at little Brown now and Shauna Gore, who's still at Oni. Um, and, um, Andrea told me at one point when I gave her, when I, when I turned her down, like the, the thumbnails, not the thumbnails, but the pencils and all of the text, because I usually do the pencils and all the text at once. And she told me to go back in and take all of the text out, all the narration and add it back. And so I did that because I wanted to make sure. So I wanted to be more sparse with the language because I wanted you to feel stuff a lot of the time. So um, so it was like taking out like places where I would say stuff about the fire again. And that place, I would take that out and I would put in a flame or you know, there was one, there's one panel, um, right after my dad dies and just before I become the fire, it's like a four panel scene and the teacher, it's like this asinine thing that's happened to me. And I'm six, I'm like, I'm like five years old and I'm going back to school because I don't have anything now. Right. Like nobody's talking to me. Nobody's saying, Hey, your dad died or anything. I just go back to school and the teacher's like, you're going to show us your talent. You can tap dance. And I'm like, okay. So I tap dance and, and all the kids are clapping around me, but there's water. I'm sitting in a pool of water up to my shoulders. Right. Cause I wanted you to see that thing where I'm like drowning. Right. And nobody's throwing me a line. So I talk about that in the beginning. So I want to, and it was the thing, it's the thing that happen, happens in writing a lot too. Um, you don't don't expect the reader to be stupid. Let them figure stuff out. And so I was trying to let that happen a lot of times. I was just setting up this thing where I could start it. I could like spin it up in the beginning and spend some time like it's setting up the parameters of this rule and the rules in the beginning. And then at the very end, you would just see stuff and you would just fill it up. You would just know this is that's that's a that's a callback to an earlier thing. Um, same thing with using the symbols for um, the N word. Um, I wanted mm-hmm. to I wanted to make it really clear the difference between black people saying it and white people saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when yeah, black people that. say it, in the, yeah, when black people say it, it's a word. It's legitimately just a word. But when white people say it, it's imbued with something else. It becomes this racist caricature of people that actually also implies some sort of level of violence. So I wanted to leave those. I wanted to make that real clear in the book as well. So. Um, you know, it's always been my, my goal to make comics that, that are using visual language to, to speak on this, 
sort of subconscious level. So the words are saying something, the pictures are saying something. Also, the pictures have this system or this this um, way in which to, to work that when you see things, you automatically know what those things are. Right. It's also interesting how, like, how the fire iconography and and like motif in the book is also tempered by the like repeated motif about uh young people being sponges it's like just yeah. like you know like a water like an absorption an absorption idea so it's like they're both like burning with this air which i i also got like you know i felt like there was some and maybe this is unintentional maybe this is intentional but i also feel like there's there's even absent of the fire image, there is this sort of thing about um, a young person of color constantly feeling like in a state of 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 a requirement to attenuate their anger, requirement to like look because there's a few times in the book where it's like I know I was like so angry, so I like stopped being angry, or I realized I had to hide it, or I realized I had to do this, which I think is extremely relatable for for young people and people of color in specific. Um, but then combining that with this idea about sponges and absorption and drowning uh, was just like really dynamic and interesting. And like you said, like the idea of like teaching the reader how to read it, which is like which is like kind of like layered like later on where where like younger people start popping up occasionally in older Joel's life and they just have the little flames already. And some of them are not even characters you get formally introduced to. It's just sort of an yeah. awareness that like they're just there on the periphery experiencing their own fire and like learning to tangle with and attenuate it themselves. Um, it, was re- yeah, it was it was really interesting. It's the it's the kind of thing that like you know, I've only read read it once, but I'm sure that like on a second read, I'll kind of like catch and like you know think through a little bit more of that. Um, but I did think that that was that was uh, that was like that was really really thoughtful and like straightforward enough to bring someone along, but with a bit a bit left behind to dig through. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the important thing. I mean, comics are you know in a lot of ways um, way more interactive than prose. Um, and way more interactive because, I mean, so you think about comics and how, you know, if you go to watch a movie, they don't really leave a lot to chance. They show you everything that they want to show you. And then, you know, think about heist movies. This is like a really good example. Think about a heist movie. They'll, they won't show you everything. So you won't know what's going on because they can't, you can't make that connection. So they have to show it to you later. Mm -hmm. So they give you all the behind the scenes. So they actually like it's really ex- explicit like here's what you need to do and when you're writing about it whether it's, it's just prose you're explicitly saying these are the things that are happening and you're describing the scene and you're putting all that stuff out there but with comics you you can do a little bit of all of that and you can do none of it at the same time so i don't have to explain to you that you know that that kid those two kids when i'm you know high school that g money's girlfriend who was toxic has her her own two kids they have flames over their on their heads Mm -hmm. you know i am i'm basically saying that they are dealing with trauma and abuse and are Mm -hmm. angry in the same way that i am so that you can just see that it's not a it's nothing i have to tell you these kids are bad that's just something that's there or when g money and i fight um in junior high school after i see his dad um beat him in our at his house and there's that one panel where G Money is filled up to his shoulders in water as well. Yeah. Right. Call back to when I was filled in, like when I was drowning in water. Like I'm, 
I'm soaking in that place. So, you know, it's kind of, it's, you know, like you're, you're requiring the reader to make the leap. I'm not saying, look at this water. This water is just like that water before. So you have to know that that G money was just like Joel was in the beginning of this book. I'll leave it there. And you have to, you have to, you have to make that connection because that's what comics do. They force the reader to be an active participant in the story. Well, what about the idea that um, part of your, part of your, like your journey was constantly being in this sort of cradle of reinvention because you were moving and so you were permitted to reinvent in a certain in a certain manner in a certain engagement that like maybe others who didn't move so much would be able to and now you've actually like told it in a graphic novel in which you've reinvented your entire story yet again you've actually moved into the medium and now you get to actually <laughs> you get to once Very again meta. reinvent yourself <laughs> Yeah, it's very meta. I mean, I just wanted to, as a kid, I wanted, you know, you always, I get to, kids are the, 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 the best example of the disaffected millionaire sort of scheme. Like, I'm not there. So I'm like, I'm going to tell you the story of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I just kept doing that over and over and over again because I always, I was, I mean, I think there, people, you know, one of my, I have, I have an agent for speaking and for my speaking events and he was like, you know, how do you survive this stuff? And I was, and I told him, I'm like, I, you know, I just put my head down and, and got through it. He goes, but I think it's more than that. I said, cause I don't, I don't think I'm any, I'm special. And he goes, well, I think it's more than that. There's something else. And I think it was that the idea, the thing that was in the back of my mind driving me that there had to be something else. Right. And I think that at every moment when I'm changing who I am or I'm giving different names or I, you know, I want to be something else. I was thinking in my head, there has to be a better thing. I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's, if it's spiritual or anything else, but I think that, and this is something that I'm just like, just now saying, so I feel like therapy right now, I'm like Mm -hmm. discovering this idea, but I think there was this, always this, this moment in the back, this notion in the back of my head that this can't be it, that there's something else out there for me. There's something greater. And as a kid with the limited tools that I had, I would, so it had to be for this new Joel that's out there, this new version of Joel that's there. And so I'm always doing that. I mean, you know, when I was when I got out of, when I got out of high school, um, right before my wife and I got married, um, when I say right before, I mean like six months before I was working at this plastic excreting molding company and I was working third shift. Um, I wasn't in school. I didn't graduate high school, so I wasn't in school. And I was just working like these jobs, paying for this ridiculous sports car that this other girlfriend had co-signed for me. And I was sitting there in the middle of the night and filling up these boxes with things. And I remember thinking to myself, has to be something better than this. I wasn't sad. Everything was like I had a little bit of money and I had a nice car and I could party with my friends on the weekends. You know what I mean? We just like it wasn't like I was living a bad life. I just thought to myself, there had to be more. And I think that I had that happen a number of different times in my life where I was like, there has to be more than this, or I can't settle for this. I have to be better. Plus, I had family members that um, were really terrible people, um, abusive, emotionally abusive, sexually abusive, physically abusive. Um, And then I kept being compared to those people. Like, you're just, you're going to be just like that person when you grow up. You're like, you're that kid. You're going to be just like them because that person's so bad. You're going to be just like them. And in a lot of ways, 
I'm not, there has to be more than that. And I'm never going to be that person. You like you, my best, the best thing I can do is grow up in a world, grow up to be somebody never like that person. So that's what I would do. I was, I would, if, like, I'd gotten to a place where if I felt, if I smelled or if the clothes or mannerisms or anything was like that person, I would change it. I would work to change that. Cause I didn't want to have, I didn't want any connection to that person at all. Um, and, um, yeah, and I and I think now that there are family members who don't know this or would never say this because I don't think they're good people and they're not self-reflective, but they wouldn't they wouldn't know that that's why I did that. But they would also not 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 admit that I didn't turn like that they had said that and I didn't turn out like that. I don't know. It's it's funny, but um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it makes me it makes me happy to know that I didn't do what they said. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wow. Um, I just want to I just want to mention that, you know, and and going through this story, it really for me, it brought me back to a time (laughs) in which I can in which I was bullied. You know, um, I think similar um, similarly, I think the time period is, is right around the time when I was a kid as well. And I remember also getting bullied by a, a taller girl. And, and feeling completely trapped in the sense that um, I was taught never to hit girls. You were, so you were yeah. taught well, Tony. It was like, <laughs> what do I do? Do I hit back or do I just take this beating? You know, or I mean, what do I do? And, and, and it was very, it was very telling uh, of the, of the, of the way of that feeling of being trapped. Of, of knowing that you're not supposed to really do anything, but like, you're gonna have to catch a beating. Like, what, what is that? To, you know, and, and I think you captured that feeling very well. So, mm. you know, when I was, you know, really going through that part of, of the book, I, I felt that again. I, I really felt all that, that emotion and that pressure. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, one of the things that I, I originally started out fights with this idea that I was a victim um, and, and that I was, like all of like, oh, I, not so much woe is me, because at this point I've been through lots of therapy. So, you know, I was good, but it was more like, I can't believe all this stuff happened to me. And then I had this, um, all these kids that I grew up with decided to have a family reunion um, of all the people that lived in the projects. They had a cookout, went back to Southwestern Virginia. And I just remember this dude coming up to me. Um, I mean, this guy, I mean, he was hustling. That's what he's like. I'm like, what are you doing now? You know, just hustling with his nice car, you know, like $300, $400 Jordans on, you know, like smelling like weed, you know, like that kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, and he came up to me, he goes, man, Dole, I'm so glad you got it out, man. He said, you were just wilding out here. I just, I thought you'd be dead or in prison. And then one dude was like, I didn't even, if you were outside, I wouldn't come outside. If I thought you were outside, I wouldn't even go outside. I used to have nightmares about you. So I had to reevaluate myself and look real deeply at that. I was actually, I was actually somebody else's bully as well, because when you're a kid and you don't have, that's what bullying is. It's about not having any power and having to exert power over somebody else in order to feel it. Um, And I think that I, I did that. Right. And I had to, I had to reconcile that I was also a bully as well as being bullied. And there was this, the moment when I just decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. I wasn't going to be that kid. I remember um, when I was in high school and I was in ninth grade, there was this um, girl who was 
you know, really, really overweight. She was, she was just, people picked on her all the time. Um, but she just never saw it. Right. She just, she was oblivious to the, in the world. She just never saw, I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't dumb, socially inept, yet that it almost always bounced off her. She just didn't care about it. Um, and so people just were just terrible with, to her. And I remember just not, I was never mean to her. I was always really just nice to her. Um, and, um, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't like, I just, I just, that's just what it was. I wasn't me. Um, so I told her, um, I remember she, and so she started telling people that I liked her. And, um, and I remember getting, I remember I got so, you know, I started making fun of her like everybody else. I was like 15. Um, I started making fun of her like everybody else. And I felt so bad about that, that it still sticks to me. It sticks with me this day. I felt so, so bad about it. Um, that I just, you know, I fell right back into that trap because I just, I felt powerless again, right? She was going around telling people that I liked her because I was being nice to her. And, and I felt I was trapped again. I didn't have any, um, I had no, um, I had no power. So I was trying to get that power back. And I think that's just, that's what bullying is. And I think it's just important to, to recognize that we, that kids do that because they don't have any other outlets. Right. It's not as simple as like, you know, like a one-sided power arrangement, like here, this one is below, this one is above and you know, there's your map. Like it's, it's way stickier and reflective, way more reflective than that. Yeah. Exactly. In in media, a lot of times, you know, it's because of the classic kind of, you know, protagonist antagonist architecture. It's there's a a tendency to have, you know, bullies be one dimensional. Yeah. Um, yeah, and in in your book, you very clearly, you know, reflected how you know in grade school the very um, the, the the ways in which you had been bullied on the bus. You kind of you know at a certain point in in that attempt to reclaim power, you know what I mean, re- reflected those same type of ideas. So you you like you're you're talking about you added this level of complexity to it that's not often in the discussion. Yeah, I mean, and and that was the thing I really wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to make it make it clear that when I became the fire, I was was, that was just what I did. I was um, I was just I was just like every I was, you know, I was like those other kids. And I also wanted to at the same time by showing you what was happening to me when I was a bully to show what might actually have been happening to those other kids as well so mm, mm, um you mm. so even though like the kids are all these kids are terrible like you could you could say these kids are terrible but I wanted to try to make that parallel argument like these kids are doing the exact same thing that i did and look at look at why i was doing that so why do you think those kids are doing that as well right so i wanted to make that argument at the same time so it's like a it's like a multi-layered argument to show empathy for those children that were being the bullies, even though they were ter- terrifying to me and they were, you know, they were scary and beating me up. Um, so it was like, it was that kind of, it was that kind of sort of um, um, just multi-level layered sort of look, look at this and you can see that too. So. Hmm. Wow. So have you, um, I mean, I'm sure that, you, you know, you've spoken a little bit about, um, speaking to some of your students about the books and um, doing speaking engagements, but have you gotten like kind of, you know, direct um, 
feedback from children who who related to the story? Um, I've had some students, mostly students, come up and talk to me about it. And, um, you know, I had one student who specifically came to me and was like, can I come doing your office hours? Like, I the same kind of issues. And I really just want to turn my work into art in the same way that you have. Mm. So um, that's that's mostly what I did. Um, that's that's what it, that's what it's been so far. But hopefully, as more and more people get the book and it goes out um, more widely, I'll start. To, I'll get more and more things. But mostly, people are you know saying, you know, this is um, it's a hard book to read, or it's um, I, I really resonated with it. I had somebody tell me once, um, maybe my childhood wasn't as happy as I remember it because these some of these experiences mirror my own. Um, and you know, people, you know, people, you know, they, you know, I talk to people about that have read it. They're, they're like, I, I remember this, right? This, this takes me to that same point. So, um, but my hope is, is that, you know, even though this book is rated mature, is that there are kids there going through some of the, some similar situations that'll get a chance to read this book and see that there is some places, there is a way out. Like they don't have to be that kid. They could be something different. Yeah, I mean, you know, the kids gonna get their hands on it. Come on, listen, mature, a mature I mean, reader label. Yeah, that never stopped me when I was younger. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know too many that it does. I have a feeling it will, it will find somebody, it will find somebody in that right in that bracket. I mean, that's that's my hope. I mean, um, you know, it's funny because when I made when I was drawing it and writing it, I wasn't thinking. Um, you know, YA and the, the label of the book is, you know, it's going to be difficult because it's going to have, you know, sexual abuse and really hard language in it. But because um, I was just thinking that there are kids who there are kids who are going through way worse stuff than I am. You know, there are kids out there who are living through that right now. Mm-hmm. That's way it's you know, it's it's a much, much more dangerous and tenuous situation. And I'm like, if those kids can get this book and see that there's a way, there's another side, there is another side. Um, and the other side can be a place where you're happy with a great supporting family and, you know, you're successful. There's this, there's this, there's this light at the end of the tunnel. And this isn't to say that, oh, everybody should go through this in order to, to get, or to get to this other place. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that because you did go through this, that's terrible and nobody ever should, but there's also this other place you can get to where things can be good and you can, you know, go to work every day and wake up every day thinking, man, somebody wants to talk to me because I draw comics or, you know, I get to talk about art in a classroom for four hours and they pay me for that. <laughs> you know, like there's a place where you have to, when you get to a place that they can get to that place and they just have to make, you have to make some calculated choices along the way and find out where you can make choices because kids can't always control everything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's about finding those little things you can control. Like in Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, where he talks about he can't, he's, he has no control over where he eats, goes to the bathroom, anything or his life. So he just looked for those little tiny things. And one, one day it was just trying to find a shoestring to put in his other shoe because one shoe had a shoestring in it and the other one didn't. And that helped. I think, too, um, like, this story kind of begins to prove that, like, comics is definitely beyond the superhero story. Mm -hmm. 
So, like, when I talk to people and tell them that, like, you know, my work is on, you know, comics, you know, the first thing that, you know, some of the people I come in contact, it's just an automatic superhero story. Right. And so, like, this lets people, it, it provides another outlet and avenue for other people to enter into the medium of comics and say, like, it's, you know, it's more than, it's, the, you know, multiple stories. And people who read comics, they know that, but those that are on the outside don't necessarily know that or they already have these assumptions and so you know it it's goes to the um the whole reason why like you know comics help people read and you know there's other different you know stories that you can find in comics so i think this story becomes like a really good example of how multi-dimensional you know comics is and continues to be you know as long as we open our eyes and open our minds to it but grace isn't yeah, that I it's, 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 i was gonna yeah I was gonna say no. Just isn't that funny how like in there's the like in the book there's like a mention of superhero comics at some point. You're like, yeah, I made this comics fifty cents, and then you're like, then I got bored with it. Like you literally has that moment like in the book. You're like, then I was like, whatever. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, comics. It's funny because when I explain this to people, I remember when I was when I was talking about it. This process, like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm working on this book called Fights. It's about my life, but every chapter is about a fight I got into as a kid. People would giggle. They'd be like, "Huh, that sounds that sounds cool." Right? <laughs> like, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> right, exactly. They they wouldn't they they didn't understand that. I actually had a faculty member once say to me, "I was drawing on an iPad." Um, at my previous institution, and he goes, he comes over and does it. You know that that dismissive hand motion you can do. It's like you wave your hand back and forth, like mm. you know, like that. And he comes over, he's like, "Is that what they did? Is that where you do your little cartoons on?" And I'm like, "Oh, yeah. oh. That's, that's what he said to me." And I said, and and I I turned to him and I'm like, "The New York Times has written about my little cartoons. Have they written about your stuff?" <laughs> right. <laughs> wow, that's perfect. I just I just okay. had one of those conversations recently. Um, yeah. Where I was talking about what I was doing, and and um, the person who was another artist, you know, really nice person, was like, "Oh yeah, my son does a little bit of comic strips," but but it was said in that that same kind of dismissive way. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I think people. Well, I mean, we still got we still have a whole generation of people who, when you say comics, they go Marvel or DC, right? And um, you know, and just just in general, I mean, I don't. Th- one of the things that I don't think people have spent any time looking at that I that I actually think it. I, I just don't have time to put this out in the world, right? But um, Marvel and DC are suffering the exact same problem that M- that ABC and, and CBS and NBC are suffering. Nobody's going to sit down and watch. Nobody sits down and watches something on Thursday nights anymore. They sit. Mm-hmm. They want to read the whole thing, right? They don't like that. People people don't generally go and just sit down in front of the television on a specific night and watch Lost or, you know, The Bachelor. I mean, they do The Bachelorette still, but but for the most part, you've lost all those people because people want, they binge watch things now. And I think that if, and I think that if comic, if DC and Marvel would just stop putting out so many books and just basically turn into regular publishing companies and just publish an entire arc of, um, I don't know, Batman, although I'm super not interested in Batman stories anymore. Um, mostly because I think, you know, Bruce Wayne could save a lot more people if he just gave away his money as opposed hmm. to building a bat suit. Hmm. Yeah. He could, yeah. he could, he could legitimately solve crime in Gotham city by just giving away a billion dollars. Kind of a Bloomberg Bloomberg esque. Oh yeah. Like Bloomberg could by himself fix the Flint water crisis. 
by wow. himself. He could he, he could do it just, by himself. He could do it with what he spent on these bullshit promotions on those and influence. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Just with that. I mean, so that. I'm so I'm so not interested in billionaire superheroes, but um, you know, taking a getting getting a dope team together and telling them that we want you to make a 200 page or 150 page comic that we're going to sell in January of this year, put it all out there and put it out there like a book, just sit it out there. Mm. You could, it could still be the soft cover binding and put it out. And maybe you do, you know, five of those, five of those every year or something. You know what I mean? You put all of them out together. You basically have people buying books as opposed to buying floppies. Cause I think floppies, floppies are going to go the way of the Dodo bird. Um, Graphic novels are still still gangbusters. People are still, yeah. you know, Re- Reina Telgemeier is now mainstream comics, yeah. right? They printed a million copies of mm-hmm. Guts. I don't think people even realize a million copies. To be a successful book, you just need to sell like 20,000 copies. They printed a million copies of that book. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jerry just, Jerry Craft just won uh, Newberry for, for mm-hmm. New Kid. It's the first time a co- graphic novel's ever done that. So I think that people, you know, you hear that all the time. You hear the fanboys always lamenting the fact that comics are dying. That's because they just, they haven't, they're doing the same things cabs have done. They're not really recognizing that the market is changing. And so they're getting destroyed by Uber and Lyft. So they need to just, just they just need to just, they need to recognize what's, I'm like on a whole different tangent now. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, people, people want to binge watch, people want to binge watch Superman. That's what they want to do. Yeah, so I mean, like once you, yeah. yeah. So don't yeah, once put out you make it accessible, thing. right? Once you yeah. make it accessible for people to go do it, like, yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because people are like you actually sit down and watch TV, and I'm like, yeah, there's like extra shows that I still like watch when it comes on live, but most people are like, no, nah, I mean, I, I'll catch it when you know the whole binge watcher when it comes on Netflix or whatever, and I'm like, dang, like that time has gone when people just sit, like you said, in front of the TV watch enjoy it's like nope let me spend my saturday or whatever my weekend hitting up all these episodes i like yeah watching i mean shows. That's, that's what i do i like i i bet i don't like um i think the only thing that the last the only thing that i've watched religiously when it came out in like the last two or three years was the new watchman mm-hmm. i watched that when it came out but that mm-hmm. was only and i was irritated that i couldn't binge watch it yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would just talk about it the entire week and you know yeah. the next one came on. I mean, I, it was funny cuz I talked to um I um I was talking to John Jennings about it and I was telling him I'm like if you watched it yet he's like no nah, I'm going to binge watch the whole thing. He wasn't even watching it when everybody else was watching. He just sat down and binge watched the whole thing right after it was all done. Okay. <laughs> and so yeah, and I had some students who did the exact same thing. They were like, "Yeah, I'm just going to wait until I can binge watch the whole thing because you you miss things you you get you you don't have time for it and you know like if you sit down and you get like an entire Saturday I can plan my day out I'm just gonna watch all of Watchmen and it's gonna be great episode six is gonna come on I'm just gonna be blown away by it it's gonna be amazing I'm gonna be disappointed in the end I'm gonna be <laughs> you know but see I mean, then, I don't then know. The, you know yeah. then the letdown for like bitch so like this last weekend I watched Hunters. And, you know, once it was over, I was like, damn, okay, so what's next now? So, like, for me, I had to, like, find the balance of, you know, binge watch a whole thing and then still watch something and wait till the next week for it to come out. Because, you know, there, I, there I, I get this climax. 
yeah, yeah. I get this climax, and then it's like, oh, okay, what's next? What what I got? Right. I gotta wait. Yeah. So with that, I'm just like, um, I don't know. Like, I'm okay with that because I got other stuff to do anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, true. I do too. True, but you know, you know yeah. what I mean. So like, if I watch it, if I watch something. You know, I watched the entire season of Stranger Things on a Saturday after it drops. Then, like, I'm excited about the next season, but I go sit in my studio and go draw comics. Although, Hunters, they lost me after the first episode. I thought it got silly. I thought that first scene was great, mm-hmm. and it was just all downhill from there. I just couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> do it. We were watching it. I started, I started, like, reading, like, I started reading a book or something. <laughs> like oh, my on. goodness. I started reading a book. I was just like, yeah, this is kind of silly. I don't want to watch it. My wife was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I don't mind. I don't, I, I don't mind. I want to binge watch stuff. I don't even know. How do we get to talking about this? I was talking about something <laughs> else, and now it just started, like, going off on billionaire superheroes, which make me angry. No, um, I think, okay. I think it, it, there's something to be said by what, but what you're, by your point. I mean, we got on this subject because, you know, the the, the floppies of, of comic books are mm-hmm. not really right. they're, they're not really there anymore. I mean, as mm-hmm. I try to, you know, example, you know, sometimes we we here try to read comics just to try to keep up, and it's like, oh, well, this series of X Men was great, and this series of X Men is great, and I think that we were able to do that because we were able to read the whole series, as opposed mm-hmm. to just I have to wait every fucking month to get another one when I could just wait. <laughs> and then collect all of them. Um, and I think there's something to be said about that. I well, think y'all people it's, need it's some patience, too, right? Y'all need some patience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, it's just like, y'all are, you know what? You're all millennials, that's it. I'm downgrading any Gen, any Gen Zers or Gen Xers on this call, and y'all millennials now. <laughs> Don't you dare. I am not a millennial. Y'all, not so, not y'all, not y'all, y'all are ersatz millennials. Am, y'all are ersatz millennials. <laughs> no, you like, are lo- you so are shout out to our millennial things. listeners. No, no, no. no. You're, you're <laughs> lamenting the change. You are like upset that this is changing, right? That culture of the comic book store where you go every month and you have your stuff on back. You have, you know, you got your little special folder with all the comics that you've ordered for the a box. week. You the get box. those, you come home and you go back and like you're, you're lamenting that thing. But, you know, like comics wouldn't be dying. Comics can't be dying when you have, you know, publishers like, Bill Campbell and Rosarium, who's like putting out Box of Bones, like that's not a dying, it's not dying. Spike Trotman, who's raised millions of dollars on Kickstarter for doing, for putting, you know, running their whole line of, like that's not, comics isn't dying. Just that, that specific thing. And I'm not saying that I don't like that, like going to the store, getting the comics, but I'm, that's what I'm saying is that nobody's doing that because it's a changing market and you have to, you have to change. You can't, you know, if people are, you know, it would be it, this would be the this whole thing with the comic industry would be the equivalent of me sending memos through inter office mail as opposed to in email, because that's just not how we do it. We do memos. Did you get that memo I sent? No, I didn't get your stupid memos because we can't. I don't. I can't get memos where I live. Where do you live? Twenty twenty, motherfucker. I can't get a memo in twenty twenty. I get an email. That's what we do. You know, some buildings still have pneumatic tubes. <laughs> what, what? They do. What some buildings still have pneumatic tubes, yo. They put the little thing in the, like, thump. You know what I'm talking about? The, like, thump. 
You know what I'm talking those about. Those are great. I, I like those. <laughs> yeah. Not to like send memos in, just as like a thing to be able to just like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. No. I just, like I just want, I just want to like, I would send stuff in there randomly just because it would be fun to do. Not because I think yeah. it's effective because it's not an effective communication tool anymore. <laughs> you communicate to people the way in which they communicate. You, 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 if you want to continue to grow, you commute, you, you sell people what they want to buy. You don't sell that. You don't try to force them to sell stuff to, to buy they don't, what they don't want. And so if, if retailers, comic resellers want to continue to bring in people, they got to change the game. Like, um, what's her name is doing in Philadelphia, Ariel, what's her last name? Um, Johnson, Ariel oh, Johnson. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. it's like, that's, that is a, that is an experience. She is selling an experience. She is not selling floppy comics. She's selling coffee, right. mini cons, you know, slam poetry, whatever else she's creating a place for you to come like a, this new safe space that you can come in. That's what you need to start selling. Not like a floppy comic every month. Okay. All right. Well, let me, let me turn it around a little bit for you. Do you think, <laughs> Do you think, because many people, they've been saying this for, like, a fucking decade. Do you think vinyl's going to die? No. No. Right. Okay. Vinyl's not going to die. And vinyl was, a. Pr- I think, I feel like, you know, about a decade, maybe 12 years ago, it was approaching it. Because that was when, like, or maybe, no, maybe more than 15 years ago, when the, when the CD DJs came out and all this other shit came out, and everyone's like, yo, that's a rap. I got Serato, you know, like, I'm just going to do, like, I'm going to scratch MP3s, like, with my bad self. And it's like, but in the end, vinyl, like, went out, and vinyl continues to be printed, like, every single day. And I think part of the approach with floppies means that I think we need to sort of reacquire it, re, like, regrip it in terms of something like vinyl, give it something to do, get, make the comic shop. I mean, I, I insist still that the comic shops are like really special, like valuable, you know, sort of cathedrals or they can be, they're not all like that, but they can be. And having like this sort of, you know, salon culture where you go to like the comic shop and you see the dude there who recommends you the good shit and everybody there's great and they all support you and they all like, and you're all standing. I'm sure if anyone of us has like ever followed like a series and you've end up like standing in the store, reading the issue out of your box with everybody else who's standing in the store, reading the issue out of their box. Cause you couldn't wait to come home with it. You just had to read it in the store. That's some special shit that like doesn't really have a translation. And I do think that they can be a cultural bastion like Ariel store amalgam amalgam right amalgam is amalgam. yeah like, like amalgam like we can do that and we can do that to floppies and we can do that to comics culture on the whole i don't want to get in front of anybody who wants to get a graphic novel all at once by all means do you but one of the things that worries and concerns me and there's already so many examples of that even today now i'm on my soapbox there's so many examples of series that never got to the graphic novel the floppies came out and no one bought them. Right, and they're right. fucking gone. They are gone. There's no graphic novel. Yep. It never came out. They never justified a reason to print it, and they're gone. Like, there's so many Vertigo series from back in the day, and you think Vertigo, like, oh, yeah, they made tons of fucking money. There's so many Vertigo series, mini series and long, long format series that are not in book form and you cannot find. 
written by like amazing yeah. work that's just gone like because we have this oh it didn't make it to gra- oh it didn't reach syndication quote unquote like tv syndication oh fuck it then whatever L- leave it to the dustbin of history and that yeah. that is disturbing to me so i i don't think this is just a matter of like leaning back and like letting like the future you know move these wheels i think that we can we can take that aerial energy, apply it in different ways, and sort of reinvigorate the idea of short format reading, short format sequential serialized reading. That's no, what and I and I, I don't disagree with that. I think um, I'm not saying to. I, I just think that you it needs to change, right? It needs to morph. It does. It's it got to be something. It's got to be something different. And maybe the business model is maybe we do. Maybe we do a lot less floppies and we do a lot more graphic novels, or maybe we we set it into some kind of we we try to do some kind of balance of the two, so right. that you you still have some of that because that's what's going to happen. I believe it's just like people saying when you when when iPads and Kindles came out that the books were dead, but people are still right. buying books and yeah. some of the books that they're still buying are comics, right? right. They can, you know right. that's what they want to have. So I think I think there's still a place for it. I just think that you're still you're still trying to force force the way in which you've done comics for the right. last, you know, 40 or 50 years, 60 years onto a group of people when I think that that's not the way it's moving anymore. It's do, it's doing something different. And I think that Amalgam's got it right. And um, I think that's the way in which you go. You, you make it more of an experience. I mean, if, you know, libraries wouldn't be doing what coffee shops are doing if it wasn't a way to get people to come in. Right. So having a coffee shop where you can go and you can sit down, you can read stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been to Cambridge, Cambridge Public Library in, in Cambridge, Mass. Is fin- Boston Public Library is amazing. Go in, sit down, have your cup of coffee, go in there, do your research. You know, like at the school where I teach at Mass Art, they've got these big, comfortable chairs. You go in. They want librarians want you to come in and hang out and do your thing. Right. And so that's what they if you want to do that, you could do that in the coffee. You can do that in the comic shop. So make it a place where you can go in and sit down and, you know, maybe play a game, maybe just, you know, do some drawing with some friends, like make it a hangout spot. You'll you'll sell more stuff that way. Um, but, um, you know, I just think it's just like it's 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 a it's a model in which it's not working anymore and you need to sort of change how you do it in order to, to survive. Because I think having, I think like you said, having that temple, that comics is a temp, that comic store is like a temple mm-hmm. where we all go in and we worship at the altar. You know, like I remember the first time I saw any of my books in the comic store and it was like, it was like the best feeling in the world. <laughs> I used to come here and buy stuff. And now <laughs> my name is on this little thing right here. And you've got my stuff facing, which is really great. And so, I, you know, I'm still a fan, but at the same time, don't force it. Don't force it into, don't try to force feed people something that they don't want to eat. You got to figure out what they want to eat. And maybe you only have rice, but they don't want plain rice. So you got to like fix it up, put some, you know, put some stuff in it. Got some yeah. chicken broth, some rosemary, like mix it up in there, make the rice taste good. Then you don't have to force feed them; they'll eat it on their own. Yeah. And I think that that idea of of not forcing it is really the key point. Because so, for instance, it's like there's books like you know I enjoy reading um, the new X Men series in floppy form and bitter root like you know i i have to read it as soon as it comes out you know what i mean so like there's a lot of books that i will read in floppy form but i think you know you raise a great point joel which is the fact that both marvel and dc not even to make it all about them but they both it's like how like which spider-man character have we not 
made into a, a, a Spider-Man yet. You know, like every time you open a Marvel book, they've made another Spider-Man series or another version of a character that you've you've gotten a million times. So it's it's kind of like just trying to retread the same ground in as many flavors as possible while you have, you know, other great books like Nighthawk that got canceled. So, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of kind of like treading familiar ground and just kind of beating a dead horse. You yeah, know? and I so, think that's 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 sort of the thing I was thinking, like the new Batman, they got all the, uh, you know, they put all the sneak peeks out. And, you know, leading up to this, I was I was like everybody else. Oh, people always complain about who Batman is. They always complain about this. This person sounds like it might be good. And then I saw him, I saw the, the screenshots and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to see this movie, right? Because it's another, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's a it's a rich white dude deciding that this is the best way to treat everybody when the most obvious way to help everybody is, is staring him right in the face. But because he's a rich white dude, he's just gonna do whatever he wants. I'm like, I'm just not interested in that anymore. And and I frankly, if I had, I remember I've said this I've said this before, but if I had grown up and Black Panther was a movie or a TV show, I wouldn't have. I never would have wanted to be Batman. I would have wanted to be Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you, you're, you're force feeding people the same, the same thing. And, you know, like this Batman movie, how much different can it be? Yes. Right. Like, it's it's like, I mean, it's not like they're taking, they're not like if they had just done an Elseworlds Batman or something, do you know what I mean? Like, like, I don't need to see the same story. I don't need to see it. You're going to put the penguin in. Okay. So the penguin's going to be in there. I don't know. Like, so (laughs) <laughs> it's just not that interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, I think what they did with Joker was really good because it's not the same story, right? It's the yeah. right. It's, it's taking it and doing something different with it. And Watchmen is that too. The TV show Watchmen is, mm-hmm. is that, that exact same thing. Yeah. We're not going to just tell you the same story. We're going to take it and we're going to expand upon this whole idea. But they're not expanding on Batman. He's just like he's a rich white dude who you know thinks his 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 idea his paternalistic idea about how to save the world is the best way to do it. And he's really broken, as opposed to just, I don't know, solving transportation problems by giving away a billion dollars. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, he could give away every, he could give away a billion dollars and get, I'm sorry, I got on this this soapbox. Yeah, no, he he could could hire more black folk at Wayne Industries. You know they fucking don't have their affirmative action shit like on lock. Like they fucking, (laughs) you know that. You've seen their part, you've seen their parties, you've seen their corporate shindigs, like. Nah, we need but I mean, is, is, a, is you, a billion, you get a billion dollars, you can't spend a billion dollars. It is almost impossible yeah. to spend it. You actually have to outspend $100 million a year, which is $10 million a month, just to spend it, just to break even on spending down a billion dollars. So when you get a billion dollars, you can't spend it. So if you have $18, $25, 33000000000 billion, there are some serious problems you can solve in America with that kind of money. You could solve Flint's water problem. You could solve, I don't know if y'all have ever been to the Deep South, but people in the Deep South in some places live like they live in, and like they've been living since the 1930s. It is, we should be ashamed of ourselves, right? And we've got people like that, but we've also got billionaires. Like, don't give to a charity. We wouldn't need a fucking Boys and Girls Club if you just paid your taxes, (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh, 
True words were never spoken. I like the yeah. idea of having a Batman issue where he fixes Flint's water crisis, though, and then they could actually sell. You know what? Okay, so they take the floppy comics. You remember floppy comics? They're like graphic novels, but smaller. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier, I think. But uh, we could take the floppy comics and all every issue sold on the Batman Flint water uh, storyline goes directly to Flint to fix their water situation. Mm. I mean, yeah. That's like but people are so cynical. Nobody's gonna buy that. Right, right. He's just, Batman's just solving problems. That ain't fun. Like he needs to go fight somebody. I remember. Yeah, like I, I had a friend um, who was writing for um, writing for one of the big two and was telling me a story about how they were writing this story and it was like this poignant moment between a, a dad and a son and the editor wanted them to make sure they make them fight. At the time, maybe they could do that while they're fighting. And, for, and the, my friend was like, "That's not the point of that part part of the story. <laughs> like, you just completely take the story out of context because it's like it's got to be the what's his name, the Transformer guy, Michael Bay. It's got to be a Michael Bay explosions or you know right. that episode of um, you know that one um, um, the one um, Wildcats." Where it was just like a, everybody was always jumping out of a helicopter, and I feel always had people jumping out of helicopters. Where it's just like every page was a two-page spread jumping out of a helicopter. It's like that's the same thing. I mean, although I love those, <laughs> me too. I, I, no, and they yeah, always, yeah, yeah. no, they too, always yeah. jump. Look, I'm doing the motion right. You can't see me because I'm not on camera. Their yeah. elbows are like parallel to their forehead. Like yes. their arms are way, <laughs> arms are way up here. They're way up here, wow. jumping out of the fucking jet plane or the helicopter. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That's the Wildcats. That's the that's the Jim Lee falling falling through the sky shit. Yeah, I you, love that. I love. I mean, I love it. Yeah, I love it. But I mean. That's, that's, that's the problem. They also right? always have a whole conversation while they're skydiving. Yes. There's, like, yes. so oh, yeah. many word balloons. They're like, <laughs> all right, you get down there and do this. It was like, yo, yeah, like, you do, like, and it's like, yo, you guys had, like, a serious exchange up there, like, in the fucking yeah. zero it's like, G. It's like a, a seven-second fall, but they're <laughs> right. having paragraphs from paragraphs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Right, they're still like resolving an argument from earlier on, in like a scene on the on the actual jet plane, and they're just like resolving the argument in the air. It's very true. Right, you know, right. We should we could have a whole YouTube channel about like comics physics, <laughs> like how you know time, I, yeah, the rules down. of time and space don't apply even even when people are jumping out of a plane. Um, yeah. I thought I thought for a second you were talking about the Wildcats cartoon, and I was like, I actually never saw. Did anybody ever see that shit? I think I saw one episode. I think I did see it. It looked bad. I never saw it, even though it kind of hit at the right time. I just what what year did it come out? Oh, was it, had, it was like I think Image was still a going. Like there were still new issues of Wildcats coming out. I think when it. I feel like it was like, like 95, 90, 95, 90. That's yeah, not accurate. I, I, I was in college. I missed a lot of cartoons when I was in college. Yeah. My daughters were born right at ninety five, so I probably wasn't paying much attention to it then either. Should go back and watch it though, out of curiosity. It has to be terrible. Nineteen ninety four. Ninety four was the show. Okay. That has to. It. Yeah. I mean, we might need to watch. Maybe we'll do like a let's watch or like a like Ooh, a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for the stream. Yeah, like because it that has to be embarrassing, right? Like I feel like it'd be even embarrassing. Like on the like it's probably like even antiquated as for ninety four. I think. I might have to check it out. All right, yeah, the Wildcats show. Although, I, although I love, I I think, I mean, I'm, I I think I went through a fra phase where I just hated Rob Liefeld, but at the same time, I also love him because he just 
he doesn't give a shit. He's just doing stuff. You know what I mean? Like he, he is living the dream. He is doing what he wants to do. And he put out a thing last year, the year before last, where he made pouch man. And it was just like, he did a drawing and it was just a man covered in pouches. Yeah. So he knows, right? He knows what people say about it. Tiny foot pouch man. But I mean, Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, like I feel like it was it, it was a pro, like I feel like it was appropriate as a teen in the nineties to to detest Rob Liefeld even with the Spike Lee Levi's commercial or whatever. But but yeah, no, I do think it's I he you know what? Okay, hot take, hot take, fuego take. Rob Liefeld is the guy Fieri of comics. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like I've heard that before. Somebody else. Oh but really? Also, oh, that's yeah, not an original. Fieri, right. But also, but also, Guy Fieri is just a nice dude. He just looks like a douchebag. That's what he's actually say. not a bad dude, right? Yeah, no, no, he's a middle-aged man with sunglasses sitting on the back of his head in a race car fridge. I mean, he's not right. anybody I'd want to like kick it with. But like, I'm not like don't exist. Actually, maybe I am a little bit like don't exist. Actually, no. So I, Rob, I, <laughs> Rob Liefeld is just like I don't know. Rob Liefeld. I mean, he just. I mean, he was 17 when he started drawing comics. Who would? Who wouldn't want to be that kid? I right. Know, I know. Who wouldn't want to be drawing yeah. for Marvel when you're 17? So that's number one. He didn't go to art school. He didn't learn anatomy. So he was just figuring this stuff out in his basement. Right. He was just. That's what he was doing. Yeah. And this guy's made, you know, multiple millions of dollars drawing comics and doing what he loves. So. Rob, Rob Liefeld probably has no fucks to give about people making fun of him. He's like, I've lived my dream, you know, like, so I don't, so women's, women's boobs and heads and body anatomy is completely wrong. I don't care. This is fun to draw. People like it and they're paying me millions of dollars. I don't care. I also, well, okay. Two things. One, I like, I also want to give him that because I feel like he got a lot of people of color paid. We had, we had, um, we had uh, Dietrich O. Smith on the show a few years back. Oh yeah, and he yeah. Ha- he he had a lot of glowing things to say about Rob Liefeld, and said that Rob Liefeld like specifically hired young young brown folk a lot, like a lot. Like he made a point to always have. Oh wow. Yeah, somebody like in the studio that was like learning or was like you know a new trainee, promising artist and stuff like that. And Dietrich O. Smith being one of them. Uh, so like I'll definitely give him depth for that, uh, you know for sure. And, and I mean. Wildcats. What? Did, did, he didn't make well, Jim Lee. Jim no, Lee Jim Lee. Wildcat. Jim Lee made Wildcat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did Young Blood. No, he was Young, young Blood. Young Blood. Young Blood. Sorry. No, young and blood. and yeah, and also. No, young... Wait, wait, wait. Now one more thing about Rob Life because I want to temper the nice thing I just said about him. All right, so you got to <laughs> hold on. A, you got to hold on a second. So the other thing is that like he also like you know killed comics with X Force, like destroyed the comics industry. Oh. So let's not forget that. Let's not forget that he had. Why, d- he was like the Oppenheimer. You don't love the, the chromium covers? You, the chromium cover revolution? He was the Oppenheimer of the fucking comics industry. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. He can cook. He can cook. I, man, I've got, I, don't have, I don't have no more hate in my heart for Rob Liefeld. I'm, you know. No more. So there was a lot. So you have no more. I grew up in the I 90s. Have, of course I, I had some. I don't have any hate for him at all. I don't. I, used no, to I don't have hate for Rob Liefeld. Yeah. I still kind of make fun of him, but at the same time, I also just really love it. Because, I mean, I was, yeah. I dig those. I, like, I was into those comics. I bought, I still have all of those Youngblood comics. I had Youngblood. Mm-hmm. I definitely had Youngblood. I had X-Force. Then I had, had like five, I had five copies of X-Force number one, all right? No shit. Four I of them in the too. bag, yeah. one of them to read. <laughs> that was and, and, and you just knew that it was going to be worth money, right? It was like... good. That was my retirement, my dude. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Yo, I was gonna be living oh, fat off them, off them X Force number ones, man. Yo, they sold like 
a million X Men number ones, and I don't know how we thought that like they were going to be valuable. Yo, what about, what, what about the Spider Man number ones? You had the silver. Oh yeah, Spider Man number. Yeah, silver. I had the silver. I had the black. I think uh, I had gold too. Okay, concept. It's a the the world. It's now after the apocalypse. It's a post-apocalyptic dystopic landscape. The new currency is the Ooh. old number ones of comics from the nineties. <laughs> like that's I'm actually. <laughs> Yo, don't give your ideas away on the airways. Like, I got I got some. You, I got you some gotta say ones. copyright, and then then it's it's. Uh, yeah, that's trademark BCC. What I just said. All right. What's that, that, what's can you joke? can you send me a copy of this podcast so I have a yeah, proof copyright? <laughs> I'll mail it to you. Thank you. Know. Okay, good, good. You just can't open it. Just don't. Open I won't. It. No, I won't. Because the court will know. The court will know that I've opened it. <laughs> oh man, we were such dumbasses. We were such dumbasses back then. We really thought that was something. All right, I'm sorry, yeah. Tony. You were, were you saying who was talking? I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So about fights. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I'm saying that, but I'm the one that took us off track. So. <laughs> no, this has all been all been good. This has been really good. Yeah, I mean, like, if it's not like abundantly clear just within the show, like, I love this book, Joel. I love yeah, this book. We, like, we all did. I connected yes. with it greatly. Absolutely. This book actually made me like think of the notion that. Uh, that there's a sacred trust, a sacred trust, and like established fraternity among all kids who grew up with terrible shoes, and I'm part of that. I'm part of that crowd for sure. All my sneakers when I was a kid came from Woolworths back when Woolworths existed. Cause I'm very old. Um, and yep. what about Caldor? Did you ever have Caldor? Oh hell's yeah! Are you kidding me? Caldor? I don't know what those are. Oh, I don't need that. There was a Caldor was a Caldor in Queens. It was like a bootleg Kmart almost. Yeah, yeah. It was no, like was a like, few right. Wait, 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 wait. It was like wait, Alexander's. It was like Alexander's. Oh, I remember Alexander's too. Yeah. No, but Alexander's was even We, we didn't have that. We didn't Alexander's have that. was even a little Alexander's was bougier than Caldor's. Caldor's really? like, yeah. in the middle of Fort yeah, Road? Cal- yes, yes. Honestly. Yo, let me tell you about like Caldor. Caldor right? did not have a brand name in it. <laughs> like there you couldn't no, find no, one. You their, couldn't find I one. I specifically <laughs> Cause you know you're a little kid, you don't really know about fashion, right? <laughs> but I just knew, even with my limited, you know, child's uh, idea of fashion, I just knew that like Caldor was another, you know, step down fashion wise. But you know, I, I still would rock stuff because because I had to. It's same. What am you I going to do? Go wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Wait a minute. You don't rock stuff that you had to. You just wear. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got, uh, that's yeah. an important <laughs> distinction. You're right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. You don't I just remember. You had to. I put it on my person. That's like a Zen koan. That's like really <laughs> dope. You don't rock stuff that you had to is good. It's very good. No, I mean, I think the Woolworth shoes were the worst because they, they weren't even made out of rubber. They were made out of plastic sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. like, people would wear those shoes, I remember, and if the concrete was hot, they would melt a little bit. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, so they, and they were they were hard, so you couldn't run in them. Oh, so those I still shoes remember like, a name. Do you remember any of the any of the like brand names of Woolworths? Because I actually we just called we just called them Bobos. That's how we called them. That's okay. I knew Bobos. You knew okay. Yeah. No, I specifically remembered the name of the sneakers that I would get at Woolworths. They were Titans. They were called Titans. Oh, I don't. 
Titans. I don't and that was any of the that was the Woolworth Adidas. Before. That was the Woolworth version of Adidas, <laughs> and they were like freaking seven ninety nine. Oh God, not seven ninety nine. Yeah, seven ninety nine. Yeah. So I have I have a sneaker collection right now that I have probably about fifty sneakers, fifty pairs of shoes, give or take. And and yeah, started buying them probably like four years ago, three or four years ago. This is my this was my midlife crisis, right? I turned. 40. Oh, this is your motorcycle. This is your <laughs> this is your Corvette flat top or whatever. <laughs> this is my Corvette. It was yeah. tattoos and sneakers and watches. Okay, and that's a pretty low stakes prices. When I was a kid, I couldn't have sneakers and tattoos, or I didn't want a tattoo when I was a kid. I got them now, but when I was a kid, I wanted sneakers and I wanted watches. Mm. And so I turned forty. And that's what I have. I have sneakers. And so I have all of the sneakers that I wanted as a kid. So I have, mm-hmm. like, I have the um, the Breed Jordans. I got the Jordan 1s, the Band Jordans. You know, I got all of those. I got Shelto Adidas. I got all of those shoes that I really wanted as a kid. I got Suede Pumas, you Ooh. know, because that's all I wanted. I wanted all of those shoes. Yeah, but do you have, but do you have, have the pump? No, oh I don't my have God. Them. I didn't want Reebok those. pumps. Oh. I didn't want those. That's all I wanted. I never got them. I used to want those too. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want those. I didn't. That... They, yo, they they increase your jump shot. Joel, be practical here. <laughs> yeah. Don't you want to boost a jump shot? You know what? I ain't jumped in like five years. <laughs> <laughs> yo, this is real. This is real man talk. I'm like, how shot right now, man. Well, I don't know nothing about jumping. <laughs> I don't know a damn thing about jumping. I remember I, I remember I could slam. I told my son that. He was like, no, you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, you couldn't do that. Like, uh, yes, I could. It's like, no. Like, yeah, I put it in a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I don't jump. But, yeah, I did not have those. But, I, you know, I bought all the stuff that I – like, I have um, – I have an entire collection of He-Man action figures, including a Castle Grayskull complete in the box in my studio. Oh, shit. Um, this is all the stuff that I wanted as a kid that I couldn't have. And um, my students make fun of me. They're like, you're always flexing, Joel. I'm like, look, I grew up really poor eating chocolate sandwiches. I am going to buy a, a Castle Grayskull in the box. But, Joel, Joel, this you, is a very important question. Okay. You, uh, you, you have other, other He-Man figures? I do. I have other. Leo, Leo I, know what's, I know exactly I know what's going. coming. I know, I know exactly what's coming. Do, do you have clamp chip? Uh-oh. Do you have clamp chip? Clamp chip. Yeah, I've got clamp chip. Yes. Wow. Salute. Yo, Joe, you're going to have to throw a clamp chip in your Twitter feed, a photo of the clamp chip with the black comic chat, with the black comic chat hashtag, if you don't mind, because this Yo, has kind for, of been a running for reference, thing. Yeah, for reference, if, if anyone listening hasn't heard the, the famous uh, Jeremy Whitley episode, clamp chip was the... Uh, one of the only black He-Man characters. Uh, I, I, oh I had my a, god, I remember that. Yes. You know, I, I still have a, have a clamp champ. My my childhood clamp champ. He still has it. That's hilarious. We so we had Jeremy Whitley on the show, and I think we spent an hour, <laughs> at least forty five <laughs> minutes to an hour, talking about clamp champ. Like <laughs> we just would not shut up about it. But yeah, Joel, if you don't mind, if you could snap, if you could snap a pic, of. Of oh, you clamp? know what? I, I actually don't have Clamp Champ. I was thinking of a different one. I don't have him, but I'm going on eBay right now. I'm buying it. Okay, good. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, good. That, that, that's an understandable feed. mistake because the, sure. the names are weren't weren't very creative. So I, no, I can see how oh, you, you can't. 
Yeah, they you could very creative. <laughs> they're not very creative. It would just be, be like this guy's covered in moss. Moss, yeah, yeah. moss man. Yeah, this guy's in the water. <laughs> who, who, who's the guys who's who's? Uh, oh, Manny faces. That's what it is. Manny, Manny faces. Manny faces. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this stinks. We'll call him Stinkor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no exaggeration. That was a good question, Marcus. I, I wasn't even I wasn't even in Clamp Champ territory. I'm glad you brought it there. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you did. Yeah, I'm gonna buy this right now. I'm buying it right now. Did you did you have the Skeletor with the battle damage on his chest where like if you pushed I it, got it battle like armor Skeletor and yeah. Battle Guard He Man? There nice. you go. There you go. That's wow. that's the good shit. That's the good shit right there. Man, the He Man He Man figures were so bow legged though. What's up with that? Why they all stretched out? I don't remember. I saw. I watched the thing about him too, and I can't remember. I have I not seen. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I have not. I haven't seen it. I've heard that it's very good. The it is, is very good. The Netflix thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It was. It's. It's really crazy because those guys. Um, they just kind of was. They, they, one of the guys was just like, I'm just going to sit in this this room over the weekend and just make up a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And that's what he did. He just made up a bunch of stuff. Yep. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that old Adam Sandler bit on SNL where he's like showing everybody how to make like you know ho- last minute Halloween uh, costumes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This old SNL bit where he's like, he just oh he got a pickle and then he like puts the pickle in his sleeve and he's like, I'm crazy pickle arm man. Won't you give me some candy? And he's just making up like yeah like just absurdist nonsense costume things. That's basically that except except people turn them into plastic things. Oh. No doubt. Oh, actually, wait. Sorry, I was distracted. But uh, th- that nerd soul, he he had a clamp champ as well. So. Oh, okay. Good. Well, there. Okay, so it's the, the legend lives on. Clamp fam. Yep. Hashtag clamp fam. <laughs> Hashtag clamp fam. Yep. You got it. Jo- Joel is is soon to be clamp fam as well. I'm just like looking. I like. I'm like completely distracted now. I'm like. Oh man. Um, guys, we should wrap. We're kind of going yeah. a little over. We should wrap. Um, but yeah, like uh, anybody listening uh, to the live show and to and to Black Comics Chat in your feed, if you're one of our many subscribers, fights is extremely good. This is like this yeah. is this is yeah. this is my favorite graphic novel of 2020 so far. This is this is it. This is definitely oh, it. Oh, that's I I, I, I blew I through it and then I reread it. I'm yeah. yeah. Same here. I'm doing. An, I'm gonna have to do another roundabout because it was powerful. It was moving. I did get misty. I did get misty throughout it at times. I do think um, the gal, like the who heads that chapter, uh, the the I'm a fuck you up gal. I think she needs to be a t-shirt. You have a yes. t-shirt with a girl on it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. The second Most I saw Kiki. that. That's right. Yeah. Kiki, yeah. I think Kiki what should you do be. Is- you print out that that page and then you put champ clamp right in front of it. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's gonna be golden. Yep, there you go. There or you, you go. can do a team up with the two of them. Clamp champ and Kiki. Yeah. <laughs> right, no, clamp champ is the old no. This okay, okay, let's break we're gonna go back That's to the clamp. It goes, actually. No, let's break it down. So the thing with clamp champ, clamp champ himself is not a bully, but he clamps, you understand? He uh. preps he preps these poor motherfuckers to get bullied. <laughs> Like, he gets them in the clamp, and then someone just comes and does whatever the fuck they want to them. It's fucked up. Like, he's not directly a bully. He's, like, a bully, uh, you know, what do you call it? Instigator. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Yeah, like, he, like he, he enab- he's a bully enabler. He's not himself so he, a bully. He clamps and Kiki champs. There you go. There you go. Wow. 
Nerd Swamp Champ is expensive. Word? Wow. No, seriously, Clamp Champ is the most I've seen for any like loose really? figure. Yeah, $125. Oh, Whoa. Goodness. Are you saying I got some money at my drawing table? Yep, that's exactly what's Wait, going on. Think, I mean, that, do you think what, we what did that? Did we do, do you that? have a, do you have his toy? Do you have No, the, um, no, I got nothing. No, do you, you don't have his gun? No, he's pretty I'm bare like, bones. It's just, just he's got no clamp. Your clamp champ has no clamp, Marcus. Is that... No, no clamp. <laughs> I got a champ, but I got no clamp. That ain't even a clamp champ. That's yeah. like that's like some Walmart's. I mean, some Woolworths. <laughs> Yo, that's it. You got the... oh no. It's the it's the Caldors of clamp champ. Oh shit. yeah, I'm looking at this now. Yeah, he had all this armor. I don't have any of that. I you don't have the there. armor either. You just have like you nah, just have man. like a black guy and red. I got a black. Yes, yeah. So you basically my, my, my have daughter a, saw it and, and thought it was Luke Cage. You basically oh you, ha, you have goodness. a professional wrestler, is what you have. That's yeah, yeah, have. basically. <laughs> yeah, all right. With, with with furry boots, you know. Oh, true. And does he have does he have the furry loincloth, the He Man style furry? They, they all had yeah. the furry brief. Okay, yes, yeah, they all yeah. had the furry brief yeah. back then. Yeah, that was it. I, I see one on uh, eBay for fifty bucks. Yeah, but it's not complete. You don't buy the one; it's not complete. Why are you trying to give okay. Joel some incomplete shit? <laughs> Just saying, that's what I saw. Relax. Yeah, it's fifty-two dollars. It's but it's not complete. It does not have the clamp. Oh, it's just a champ. Oh, it's just a champ. <laughs> it's just a champ. <laughs> Yo, I still, I, I think we had something to do with this clamp champ surge. I think that like we had that episode when yeah. was a couple years ago, and then all of a sudden like all of them eBay, all those like gouging eBay sellers were just like okay, and then they just boosted all the shit up. Damn. Now, there yeah, is so, this more modernized version. No, that one doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> you want vintage. I want 1984 Clamp Champ. Word. Yeah, yeah. this one's too articulated. And uh, Oh, what, he's got joints and shit? Ooh, fancy. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's a is his posture is correct? It's weird. Uh, his posture is correct. Yeah, every every He-Man figure looks like it's about to receive a medicine ball, like it's, it's like prepped in a gym, ready to get it. You know what? I, I I didn't know that's where you were gonna go, but okay. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, thank God that's that where you were like. gonna go. God, you know, you know what Leo's Y'all need to get your minds out the gutter. Well, that's pretty accurate because they they have like a like a you know athletic. Uh, bent leg stance yeah, they're and their arms it. are kind of outstretched like they're gonna catch a medicine ball yeah like that's all they're ready for like that's the pose <laughs> that's so weird <laughs> so fucking weird oh i'm sorry i started this tangent but no, i'm not really now you just reminded me there's something else i gotta buy to complete my collection exactly. I don't have <laughs> oh yeah. man yeah i'm not sorry man i knew there was something missing i could feel it in the air well we figured it out clamp champ Oh shoot! You can you can buy the armor separately, but yes, yeah, yeah. Not... you know what you know what's a really good concept for a podcast is just five people on eBay at the same time, just like <laughs> mildly commenting on what they're seeing to each other. I think that's a really good podcast concept. Very very I good concept. So. Yeah, that's... I just made somebody mad because I bid on this one clamp champ and they had it was sixty three, it was fifty five dollars and. 
and they had they had their bid in there, and I just got it up to seventy five, and oh. I'm like, I ain't even gonna buy it. Dude. <laughs> oh man, eBay is eBay is capitalism. Oh, so it's funny. like I don't even get it. I just want you to pay more for it. Is like the most more for that's it, right? the most fuck boy shit that exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like I just want you poorer. That's all. I, that's all my placement. That's my role in this, and I'm gone now. Yeah, I can't pull the tr- I, I I can't pull the trigger right now for this hundred and ten dollar clamp champ. <laughs> But I'm no. gonna watch it. No, yeah, watch yeah. No, you should. That's true. Yo, shout I'm out to, to sorry, shout out to Second City Chronicle. You just made me feel a lot better. I remember being <laughs> in, in seventh grade and being jealous about people's Reebok pumps, but I just saw this picture of Reebok pumps that you posted, and I'm good. Oh, <laughs> what did what this did was a joint back in the day? Wait, did Second they City were. Did back Second, then? Yeah, wait back a second, then. I, 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 I would not rock them now. Though. Did Second no, no, City Chronicle just like what are those? Uh, their <laughs> their younger self? <laughs> no, 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 no. He 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 uh, put out a a positive uh, tweet. I, I'm being okay. you know. Listen, I would have like I like I wanted those pumps so goddamn bad. And I remember and I remember and I know I've talked about this on the show before and I'm sorry to repeat myself, but I remember because I used to I used to have a subscription to Consumers for Kids, which is a really great magazine about marketing for young people, which is really informative and it should still exist today and it's a crime that it doesn't. But they actually had an article where they tested out the pump to see if it really made you jump. It did nothing. Yeah, it did no, not. It did, it did absolutely nothing. And honestly, like that made me feel a little bit better that my mom like could not possibly afford to buy them for me. I was like, oh, they're like they're fucking bullshit. Uh, right. So shout out, shout out, consumers for kids. Um, quality, yeah. quality magazine. Young people should know about marketing. Absolutely. So you knew this back then. Yeah. I, I had a feeling it wasn't true because you know <laughs> the, I mean the advertising certainly led you to believe that, and I, I bawled, you know, and I. But I, I never you remember, you remember, them. you remember the part in White Man Can't Jump when, uh, when he's going, he's going <laughs> to take well, the shot. He pumps up his non-pump shoes. Hilarious, yeah, yeah. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I too could dunk, and I, I'd never had, uh, I never had pumps. Mm-hmm. I didn't have pumps either because they were, they were whack. I couldn't do it. Oh, you knew it back then. Yeah, I just thought they were whack. I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. I didn't have them because my mom was like, I'm not buying you those. You're exactly. Like basketball shoes. Because your mom knew they were whack. Right. <laughs> either that either that, or that she just wasn't paying that money. So pretty I, much ju- I just had immigrant parents. Yeah, but yeah. same. <laughs> same. <laughs> That's how it works. That is how it works. Are, are, are we, are we going to yeah. wrap a bow on okay. this, Marcus? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, we don't. Yeah. But, I, um... Yeah, man. No, but like, shout out to to everyone that's been listening. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you know, I think Leo said it, but everybody, please, please buy this book. You know, support it. It's um, it's 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 a it's, it's a special book, and I think everybody should read it and spread the word. And thank you for joining us. Shout out to everybody who's listened. Uh, you know, people who we haven't seen in a long time. Did you see on Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nina's out there. Yeah. Yo, yeah, yeah, shout out, shout and, out, uh, shout out, Gray yeah, shout for out to sure. Everybody, man. Shout out, yeah, shout out the new people yep. on Twitch. Shout out, shout out, to Regine. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure, for everyone. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have Regine. Um, We're having Regine on next week, right? Yeah, next week. Yes. Next week, so next tune week. in, same bad time, same bad channel next week to hear the amazing and talented Regine Sawyer talk about a very important um, Kickstarter, which is live right now. More. 
yeah, yeah, it's live right now. Yeah. This we we didn't get to get to the Kickstarters, but there are umpteen quality Kickstarters by Black people going on right now. So um, just go to our feed. Yeah, we try to shout out everybody. If we forgot anybody, tell us because there's so many Kickstarters going on right now. Um, but yeah, uh-huh. thank you to Joel. Um, real quick, uh, Joel, where where can people find you, and where can people find your work? Um, people can, uh, you know, I've, you can go, you can hit me up on Twitter at JCG 007, Instagram, Joel Christian Gill. Um, I'm also on TikTok, which is a new thing for me after I figured out how to keep it from being dancing girls all the time. You, are you, you are millennial. Uh, Yo, Joel, are you a, yeah, millennial? Millennial? Are you a Visco yeah. girl? Are you an e-girl? Did you become an e-girl? No, 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 okay. no, 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 okay. that's right. not a thing. Okay. All right. Um, so <laughs> I have, um. I'm on TikTok and I have a website, joelchristianguild.com. So um, hit me up any of those places. If you like and read fights, just make sure you write a review on Goodreads or Amazon. Make sure you start. Um, if you if you don't like it, don't read, don't review it. I'm just going to put that out into the world. If you don't like fights, don't review it. Because I don't need two stars because somebody didn't like the colors. I, I don't know who that that's person real. will be. That's, that's real. You know what? That's, that's real. real. That's real. Yep. yep. Absolutely. So, All right. Um, uh, Tony, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram and on Twitter, uh, Latin at Latin Negro uh, with one N. You can go to my website, uh, AnthonyOtero.com. It'll direct you to uh, the two novels that I've written, as well as Puerto Rico Strong. Uh, please, you know, give it a look. If you haven't already, all the money goes directly to the people of Puerto Rico affected by Hurricane Maria and hopefully the earthquakes. Yes, yes. Um, and Grace, where can people find you? Well, I've been a little bit radio silent, but um, but once I, I kind of get back into the fold here, um, everything's still the same. G Breezy 20 on Twitter, Love Jones 20 on Instagram. Yeah, those are the main two places where you can um, find me. Yeah, and you know what? Don't find her. She'll find you. There you go. I'm, I'm just going to put that out right now. <laughs> um, yo, Leo, where can people find you? Yo, what's up? You can find me at Leonardo EFF on Twitter. You can find me writing up reviews and stuff on Screen Rant. You can, you can subscribe to the Narazoo Science Fiction Newsletter to hear my... Um, I'm, I'm the film editor at Narazoo, which is a sci-fi website that mostly focuses on marginalized creators, and it's fantastic. Uh, and you can find me in Power and Magic Press's new graphic novel coming out later this year, Manana, which is a, a Latinx sci-fi uh, anthology, and I'm super excited to be part of it, done by uh, your homie, Joe Met Gill. Two Gill. Two Gill. Two Gills mentioned in one episode. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Different spelling. Different spelling, but yeah. Yeah, no doubt. All right. What cool, about you? Cool. What about you? Yeah. Parker? What about you, big man? <laughs> you can find me um, on uh, tw- uh, Twitter at Marcus Kwame and on Instagram at Marcus underscore Kwame because somebody done uh, squatted on my name. <laughs> and um, that, that person's I, I, a herb. To answer Tony's question before he asked, I, I still can't. I still can't. Uh, I was going to ask you know. this time. I was actually okay. the one that was going to ask this time. Okay. All right. Still well, can't. well. To, to preemptively answer your question, I can't uh, divulge any information about 
what the graphic novel I'm working on is right now. I can say who my co-creator is, mm-hmm. um, because he, only because he has publicly um, put out that we're working on something. So um, I am working on a super secret project with uh, one David Walker. Oh, nice. and, I'm a, uh, I was just I was just texting with David. I'm gonna text him right now. See what that process is. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, it's uh, look. I'm super excited. We actually were just talking about how how it's hard to not tell people about it, but um, you especially know, when they I'm, ask I'm, you on like a podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, especially that. Yes, but um, yeah. I mean, sometime this year, you know, I will be able to to speak a little bit about it once it's announced. I have a qu- I have a quick uh, follow up question. What's is that? it is it pit number six? <laughs> I, that, well, you, can you not confirm no. or deny? No, okay. is all, all right. I'll say. <laughs> okay, all right, fine, fine, fine. All right, I, I, I still have you know hope. We, we've learned two things. We've learned it's a graphic novel, and we learned it's with David Walker. That's mm-hmm. that's that's two things we haven't heard before. Right, so that's Very good. True. So we'll yeah. we'll take that. But I promise you, once we find out, we're gonna make an entire show just about you. Yep. Wow. Pretty much. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, and then I'll, we're going to talk I'll, about show show and days. Snow and snow and days. <laughs> the hot yeah, comic. Show, yeah, shout out to show and days. Yeah, <laughs> yep. they really write show. I got to go look at this. Go tweet. look at the tweet. Go look at the tweet. It's not correct. Whatever it is is not right. <laughs> it's incorrect. Well, I, I will correct them. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> can, can you kick through the door of their office? <laughs> no, I really can't because it's an important local uh, social justice institution in, in I Albany. So I, I cannot good. do that. That's all good. Leo is trying to get me to wage violence on the <laughs> well, I always think the proper way to deal with, you know, like like bastions of social help in a in a community is kicking in doors. <laughs> like that's it's usually how change gets done. But but okay, I'll have back have off, talk, man. We're gonna have to have a talk. I'll All, back right. Off. I'll back All right, everyone. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure. And Joel, thank thank you so much for um, for coming on the show and and for giving us fights. Don't thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it and had fun talking to y'all. Cool, cool. All right, everyone. Have a have a wonderful night, and we will catch you next week with Regine Sawyer. Good night, y'all. Good night, everyone. Black comics chat.